We are continuing our study today of what it takes to have healthy relationships by studying the tough ones. And over the next few weeks, and we began last week, we are looking at those relationships that just drive you crazy and, um, and that are the most challenging for you. And so we're continuing that today. We're calling this series Tough to Love. And today we're asking the question, who makes you mad? And we're looking at the issue of anger when you feel it, particularly when you feel it, and then how to diffuse it perhaps in someone else. It's amazing how quickly the day can change. You can be having a great day, the sun can be shining, the birds can be singing, and then all of a sudden someone comes along and pushes your buttons, and you in 1.2 seconds, uh, your day's transformed, and you're ready to explode. And, um, and so we're, we're part of something that's happening in our world when that happens. We are an angry culture. You don't have to look very far to see the deep divisions in our society. Uh, NBC did a poll a couple months ago and learned that Americans are actually angrier today than they were a year ago, and the news media plays a part in that. In fact, seven out of ten people say that something in the news makes them angry at least once a day. And 31% of Americans, it's more than once a day. It's multiple times a day. And, um, and then we had the problem of road rage. About two-thirds of all fatalities on the highways are related in some way to aggressive driving. And when someone cuts you off, about half of us, statistically, will respond aggressively as well, tailgating and making gestures and shouting words and all kinds of things that people do. And, um, and so we live in an angry society, and the effects are deadly on you and me. When you're angry, your brain releases very powerful chemicals into your bloodstream, and it affects your blood pressure, it affects your heart, and uh, causes all, all kinds of issues. It contributes to heart attacks and strokes, and so it affects you. And typically when we get angry, we blame someone else for it. Well, he made me angry, she made me angry, and yet the Bible very clearly says, well, yeah, that may be the case. Someone may provoke your anger, but what you do with it at that point is entirely your responsibility. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, for example, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. And so it acknowledges the fact that we feel anger, but, and some anger is not bad. I mean, if you, someone attacks your wife or your children or your grandchildren, uh, you should feel some anger. When there's great injustice or someone's being abused or harmed, it's, it's an expression of love to feel anger. But there's a way to be angry. The Bible says, without sin. It's the uncontrolled expression of anger that destroys lives. And so we're talking about healthy relationships and learning to deal with my anger. Learning to handle the anger of others is absolutely essential if you and I are going to grow in this area. Well, the ancient book of Proverbs is filled, they are filled with ancient wisdom for angry people. Uh, one of the best expressions of that is found in, in Proverbs chapter, um, 
25, verse 28. And uh, just, just listen to this. It, it describes the issue of anger and how you deal with it to a city that is vulnerable to attack. Listen how it says this. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, a city in ancient times without walls was one that was vulnerable to attack. Enemies could come in anytime they wanted. They could walk all over you. They could take your stuff. And, and it's saying that if you don't rule your spirit, anyone can control you like that. Anyone can set you off. Anyone can manipulate you. And so it, it, it compares it to that. And then a couple chapters earlier in Proverbs 16, verse 32, it picks up the same theme. It says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Why? And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Well, earlier, the person who rules their spirit is like a city with walls. And so he's saying that a person who takes a city, who's able to, in effect, what we saw earlier, in effect, run over people, manipulate them, set them off, control them, uh, that's no big deal to set somebody else off, to provoke them to anger. But the person who rules his own spirit, he's mightier than that. He's stronger than the person who takes the city because he or she has walls that prevent them from being controlled. Who rules your spirit? Who rules your spirit? Can just anyone set you off? Or do you find that you do have the capacity to rule your spirit? We especially need to learn this in church. Uh, church is supposed to be like a family, and unfortunately, sometimes the bad parts of that are what show up. When we are not able to get along and we have difficulty, when I worked for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, there wasn't a week that went by that we didn't hear about a church fight, and we, we discovered and I learned that there are people who make a living making peace in churches. They are consultants that are brought in, mediators, and that's their task, their assignment, to make peace in a church. The old saying, I'm afraid, is true. To live above with those we love, well, that'll be glory. But to live below with those we know, well, that's another story. And um, unfortunately, it's too true in too many churches. Well, we want to apply this to daily relationships. And uh, the first thing I want to do is look at the four kinds of angry people most often discussed in Scripture. And these are four common ways that you and I express anger. But we're going to talk about these four kinds of angry people. First of all, people who let it blow. I mean, they're like a Mount Vesuvius. The moment someone pushes their buttons, they let you know about it. They, they yell, they throw things, they explode, they, they cuss. Uh, years ago, some of y'all are old enough to remember Woody Hayes, the football coach at Ohio State. During the Gator Bowl one year, uh, an opponent intercepted a ball, and he got really angry. The coach did. Woody Hayes went on the field and punched the player, wound up resigning, ended his career over an uncontrolled expression of anger. And people like that are always in the news, the Charlie Sheens, the Alec Baldwins. Last night, a New Orleans, former New Orleans Saints player, Will Smith, was killed in a road rage incident, shot to death over anger. And the first example of this that we find in the Bible is actually found in Genesis 4. 
verses 5 through 8. And as you can imagine, it has to do with Cain. And you know what Cain did, right? Cain, first two young boys in history, two brothers, and the one brother killed the other brother. It says in verse 5 that Cain was very angry, and the word there means he got hot. That's appropriate, isn't it? It says he got very hot, and his countenance fell. You don't have to be sincere, but I want everybody just a moment, look up here and smile at me. Give me your best smile. Help them, Jesus. <laughs> you know, give, give me, you know, when you're smiling, <laughs> your, your face, you're just lifting everything up. Now stop it all of a sudden, just stop. You know, your face goes down. Cain's countenance fell. He had this look on his face, the Bible says, at that moment. And then it goes on and says, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Look at that word, rose up against. That's, that's this, this reaction that we want to address this morning, that explosive reaction. It says he rose up against Abel and then killed him. So there are people who let it blow. There's a second way we express anger, people who hold it in. People who hold it in. These people don't blow up. They clam up. You know, you approach someone like that and you say, you know, I can tell that you're angry. And they say, no, I'm not. And you know they are. And uh, this is the crock pot kind of anger. You know, you put it in the pot and it just simmers and simmers and simmers and goes into a slow boil. And, and this individual tends to do that. And they also are the ones most likely to have physical problems from their anger. Jeremiah was upset about his world. He was so upset that he was always crying out to God about it, and it didn't seem that God was hearing him or God was doing anything. And um, he was, it seemed, angry even at the Lord. In Jeremiah 15, verse 17, he says, I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. He's blaming God for this. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable? Why won't this stop? Why won't this go away? Well, he's describing what it's like when you're the kind of person who holds it in. The body was not meant to hold anger. And all kinds of physical effects take place when you just hold it in. It's like drinking poison. It affects you. It destroys you. So there's people who let it blow, people who hold it in. There's a third way we express anger, people who blame themselves. People who blame themselves. Now, this one's a little harder to describe, but, but when this person encounters anger, someone's upset with them, someone's yelling at them, someone's angry with them, their first reaction is not what's their problem. That's not their action. Their first reaction is, what did I do? What did I do? And they, they take full responsibility for that other person's anger. Uh, this person also... When they are angry, they turn inward, and, and they, they have a sense of um, unworthiness, a sense of unhappiness, because they got angry. They blame themselves. Uh, no one else is, is being blamed for it. They're just blaming themselves. Uh, someone who really kind of expresses this level of unhappiness and dissatisfaction and misery, and when someone is doing that, they're going to pull you into it one way or another is the older brother in Luke 15. 
Remember the story of the prodigal son? You know that story well, right? He, he took his father's wealth and he went to a far country and he spent it all. And uh, in a self-destructive kind of way, came to his senses, the Bible said, and came home. And his father was waiting for him and ran to meet him. Picture of God, how he runs to us. Great, great picture. And he runs to him and brings that boy in and he gives him new clothes and he kills the fatted calf. And all the while, you've got an older brother who sees this and he souls up. And, uh, and he's angry, but, and it says in verse 28, he was angry and would not go in, therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. You know, wasn't I good enough? What did I do wrong? Why, why didn't you ever treat me this way? And, and, and he's blaming himself, but he's angry. He's angry. And this is the person, in the, every time the family gets together, they just sort of ruin it for everybody. Because they're angry, but they make it all about themselves. They're not happy, they're critical, they're dissatisfied. Another way uh, we express anger, number four, uh, let it blow, hold it in, we blame ourselves. But then there's number four, people who act okay, but are planning to make you pay. Their motto is, don't get mad, get even. You know anybody like that? Uh, They won't tell you to their face, they find other ways to let you know. They may use sarcasm, they may tell a joke, humor, but it's got an edge to it. And if it bothers you, they say, well, can't you take a joke? But they're not joking. And, and there's an edge to the things they say, the things that they do in relationship to you. The religious leaders who hated Jesus were doing anger this way. In Luke 6, 11, it says, but they were filled with rage... They never said anything to Jesus about it. They were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And that's what this person does. They, they're not going to express it, but they're going to get it. They're going to deal with it with you one way or another. Well, the book of Proverbs helps address all those different ways that you and I express anger. And this morning, what we want to do is look at what this ancient wisdom says to angry people. And as you and I look at it, I, know, I want you to understand that each one of these things we could spend several hours talking about. And, and it's not something that's, that necessarily is cured overnight. There's much that the Scripture has to say. But these are the areas that God wants to address in your life and in my life if, in fact, anger is a major issue for us or for you. Um, I used the analogy last week of pushing buttons. And what you want to do if you are a person that's easily angered is you want to become the kind of person who doesn't get angry easily. And so if you get angry because people are pushing your buttons, well, you've got to do something about your buttons, don't you? You've got to make them harder to push. You've got you to remove them, put them away so that those aren't things that people can easily get to. But you have to address it. And so this morning I want us to look at how to lose your buttons so they can't be pushed. How to lose your buttons so they can't be pushed. Number one, remind yourself of the high price of getting angry. Remind yourself of the high price of getting angry. You know, I don't know if this happens to you. Very often happens to me. I'll go to a store looking for something. And um, 
Maybe I got a problem, something I'm trying to fix at home, and I'm thinking, well, do I fix it or do I replace it? I'll go to the store and I'll look at the replacement stuff, the parts or whatever, and I look at it, I see how much it costs, and I think, no, that just, the price is too high. I'd get it if it costs less, but the price is too high. And then I go home. The Bible tells us that you and I need to approach anger that way. We need to look at how much anger is costing us when we just let it go or we, or we handle it in one of those ways that we discovered. Uncontrolled anger is warned against in the Bible. For example, in Proverbs 29, verse 22, the Bible says, a furious man abounds in transgression. Now, that word abounds is describing frequency, how often something happens. And it says the furious man many times, often, on a regular basis, abounds in what? Transgression. And transgression, in the biblical sense, is to cross a line from being where God wants you to be to doing and saying things that God says is destructive and sinful. So here's what he's saying. An angry man is going to sin more than a person that's not angry. A furious man abounds in transgression. In Proverbs 15, 18, he goes on and he, he says this, a wrathful man stirs up strife or causes disagreements. Uh, I like how the New Living Translation says, it says a hot-tempered person starts fights. And if you ever wondered, why are people always fighting with me? Maybe you're starting the fights. Proverbs 14, verse 29 says, he who is impulsive exalts folly. And the word for impulsive there means short of spirit or short-tempered. You got just a real short fuse. And a person that's easily set off, easily explodes, he says, exalts folly. The message version of the Bible says, a quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. In other words, it's going to make you do really stupid things. Have you ever done something when you were angry and then afterwards thought, I wish I hadn't done that? Well, that's what anger does to you and to me. And so I have to think about the cost when something happens. Proverbs 14 verse 17 says, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. So here's the point. When I lose my temper, I always lose something else. I may lose self-respect and be ashamed of myself. I may lose the respect of others. I may lose the love of my family. You know, your family can carry your anger so long and absorb it and tiptoe around you and all that kind of stuff. They can do it for so long, but eventually you're going to wear them out, and they won't be able to carry it forever. You're going to ruin your health. You're going to lose something in your health if you don't deal with your anger and count the cost of it. There are losses at work. You know, there's some people think the only way to motivate people at work is with anger. And yeah, you may get people to jump in the short run, but in the long run, you wear people out. They're not motivated by it anymore. They just kind of blow you off or they leave your workplace. And, um, and so you lose something at work. If you care about making money, you're not going to make as much money. You're going to lose your kids. When you're angry all the time, it damages your relationship with your kids, and it affects them growing up. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. 
Why? Because they understand the cost. It's like walking through the store and they say, here's something that's just happened to me and I can get angry, but if I get angry, what's it going to cost me? And that's where you and I have to start. I need to see that the cost of anger is too great. That uncontrolled anger, let loose, is hurtful to me. There's a second thing we need to do. How to lose your buttons. Remember the high price. And secondly, look beyond a person's noise to his or her needs. I mentioned this last week in the message, Wisdom for Your Worst Relationships. And... um, and I encourage you, if you didn't hear that, to go online hear that. Go get a copy of that because it was an introduction to what we're studying. But one of the things I talked about was when you and I have a problem in our relationship, typically what, what we do is we hear a person's words, but that's as far as we go. We don't go past their words. And, and what we're dealing with here in terms of anger is I may get angry because I hear the noise, but I don't hear their needs. And so something has to happen with me to where I don't react just to the noise. I hear the noise, but I go a little deeper. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, 11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. What does overlook mean? It means to look over it. it. means to look past it. Something else is going on with this person. The word discretion is to have insight into the world around you to see things that other people miss. And the person who is, who is able to deal with his anger, slow to anger, is someone who's able to look at someone, listen to someone, and recognize that something else is going on besides just the noise that's setting me off or that, that hurts my feelings. So they see things others miss. What is it, if there's someone that's making you angry at this point in your life, what is it that's going on with them? Have you taken time to look a little deeper and to be a person who has discretion? Um, You know, Friday night, um, our brother, Steve Dillard, went home to be with the Lord. And uh, Steve was a precious man of God. And he he was an outstanding musician and had the gift of being able to compose music. Now, if you play a melody of single notes for me, I just hear the single notes. But somebody who has the ability to compose, they're able to hear something else. So I can come up, I hear a melody, let's just say I hear one note. Okay, don't be impressed with this. All right? And there's a middle C. And that's just all I hear. All right? But someone who has a gift of composition They can go a lot further with that. And I don't have that gift. But I hear this. But someone who can compose music, they hear hear chords. And they can put all those different notes together. And what, what God does when you and I cry out for discretion, the ability to see and hear what others don't see and hear, God gives us insight as a gift through his Holy Spirit. And so you can turn to the Lord and say, why is this person so angry? Why is this person doing this? And and you can wait on the Lord to respond to you. So to lose your buttons, remember the high price. That's just a starting point. 
Boy, nobody wins when I express uncontrolled anger. Every time I've ever done that in my life, I've regretted it. I've never looked back at a time. It may have felt good at the moment or something, but I've never looked back at a time when I expressed anger that I, I look back and say, boy, I'm really glad I did that. I, I, just, I just don't. Uh, next month, my wife and I will be married 34 years. And we've been married for about 29 of those years happily. We've been happily married about 29 years. We've been married for about 34 years. Now, why is that? Well, when my wife, Deacon's daughter, grew up in church, sweet, sweet, married me, who grew up in an environment where everybody was a volcano, and if you thought it, you said it. In fact, you, sometimes you said it and never thought it. And we just fought. I don't know why people say they fought like Italians. We weren't Italians. You know, and when we got married as a young man in Christ, I recognized that, that when we had a problem, that getting angry was destructive. And so I had to learn to deal with that. And, uh, and I can tell you this right now, whatever it is you've overcome in your life uh, is still there in your flesh. And so when you and I don't deal with the flesh, I'm going to say a word about this at the end, but when you and I don't recognize that, that my flesh never gets better, my flesh never improves. My flesh never goes away until I die. Then you've got to understand that, that you're always this far away from doing anything you did in your past and worse. And so it's so important that you and I recognize the high cost of anger. And that when someone is provoking me to anger or I'm seeing them uh, get angry, I need to say, okay, well, there's the noise. That's the stuff that's bothering me. That's the stuff that's hurting me. But what's going on beneath the surface? What are the other notes that I'm not hearing? What are the things being said and communicated that aren't there? And that's why, number three, to lose my buttons, I need to practice reflecting before reacting. Practice reflecting before reacting. Uh, if someone comes to you, maybe they explode or they go silent on you or they manipulate you or whatever the case may be, and they're angry, you've got to stop and think. Before you put your mouth in gear, you need to put your mind in gear. The key to controlling your anger is starting in your mind and, and dealing with whatever you're facing here and bringing that before the Lord. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool vents all his feelings. But a wise man holds them back. And those words, holds them back, is the idea of pacifying his own feeling. You know, you, we use the expression sometimes to chill out. Uh, it says here, a wise man chills out. He holds them back. He pacifies and soothes them. Why do people get angry? If you can, if you can keep yourself from expressing anger, if you can begin to listen deep, more deeply than the words and actions of other people, um, you may begin to gain insight as to why someone is angry. There's only so many basic reasons why people get angry. Uh, one is they get hurt. Um, if you're out in a workshop by yourself and you're slinging a hanger, a, ha hanger, a hammer, a hanger wouldn't be so bad, and you hit your finger, now, a few people, maybe like Kirk Owens, will say, praise the Lord. 
But most of us would say, ow, throw that hammer across the room, that hurt. And that's why people get angry and they lash out. Sometimes they're hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And uh, so you may realize this person is hurt. They may be hurt about something that has nothing to do with what they're saying to you. It may be totally related to something else. Frustration is another reason why people get angry. They can't control what's happening. They're, they feel out of control. And so anything that happens that they think they might control, they're going to get angry. And they're going to try to put, put things where it needs to be. Frustration. Fear is another reason people get angry. Uh, the fear of losing something. Uh, they get anxious. Sometimes older people get to become angry people. Uh, that's why as you and I get older, we need to be so careful that we're growing in the Lord, that we're growing to be more like Jesus and less like the devil. And, um, and so because as we get older, we begin to lose some of our capabilities. We lose some of our health. We lose uh, maybe some of the respect we had in the workplace. We, lose, we feel like we're losing things. And some people become angry because they're afraid of that experience. When you corner an animal in a corner and you, you uh, don't give them a way out, you just kind of corner them, they become afraid. What do they do? They lash out because they're afraid and their fear. Uh, the key here in uh, practicing reflecting is to stay quiet, to chill out, to try to remain calm, and to think. Now, Thomas Jefferson was not known as a great theologian. He was not at all. But he said, if you want to deal with anger, he says, count to 10. And uh, if you're really angry, count to 100. But what he was arguing for was the delay in expressing anger and finding a way to put some distance between you and the explosion that you want to feel or however you're going to express it and create some time. So reflect on what to say. Don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. When you reflect, then you can do what Proverbs 15.1 says. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when you reflect, you're going to be a little bit better off in terms of what to say or not say. Proverbs 17 verse 27 says, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. So if I want to lose my buttons so that they can't be pushed, I need to remember the high price of anger, I need to look past the words to why someone is saying and doing things. I need to reflect on what I'm going to do or say, uh, try to understand what's happening before I react. And then finally, number four, I need to yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I need to yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it without the Lord. If you're an angry person, you need Jesus to help you. Uh, one of the first things you can ask God to do, and this is absolutely biblical, is to protect you from that first reaction, that first reaction that sets you off, the uncontrolled first reaction. In Proverbs 141, verse 3, the psalmist says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And so that's a heart cry. Um, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, lead us not to temptation. And, um, and what he's crying out for at that point is don't, in this, don't lead me into this place of this overwhelming situation where the evil one comes and blindsides me and takes me by surprise and I do something 
that would be offensive to you, Lord. Uh, protect me from that. And that's what he's crying out for here. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Now, when you and I feel this uncontrolled anger that wants to come out or be held in or I want to blame myself, whatever other way I express it, I need to understand that uncontrolled anger is part of the flesh. And the Bible says that when a person is born physically, they are born with a natural propensity to sin. I never had to teach my children to do something wrong. I never had to convince them to disobey me. It was already there. They would look, you know, they're going to stick their finger in a socket. I'd say, don't do that. And they're going, I don't have to teach them that because it's already wired in a child. I remember when Rachel was born. I know this sounds silly, but when Rachel, my firstborn, I held her and all this wonderful feelings came over me as a dad for the first time. And I held her and, you know, the first thought that came to mind, I know you're going to think this is weird, but I said, sweetheart, you have been born today, but you need to be born again. Because I knew what I was holding was, was a child that needed Christ and that they already were wired to sin. They were already wired to rebel already wired to run from God. That was already there. And that part of my assignment as a dad was to evangelize my children, to help them come to know Christ so that they could be born again because they have this flesh. And the Bible says in Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now what I've done is cherry pick some significant words in this list. And maybe you haven't noticed this, but often in the ethical lists, that describe the flesh that the Apostle Paul gives us. Anger shows up again and again. Listen to this. Uh, now the works of the flesh are evident. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and then it puts in murders. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The key word there is practice. In other words, that's just who they are. You know, you can take an anger management class, go see 25 counselors, and they can, they can teach you how to, how to deal with your anger. They can't remove it. They can't, they can't make it go away. And, and you may become more self-controlled in polite society, but what you need is transformation. What you need is for Jesus Christ to come in and for the Spirit of Jesus to change you from the inside out. In the rest of Galatians, as it talks about the Holy Spirit, what he does inside a man. In Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, that, that's one of the greatest transformations that you'll see in an angry person. Is when Christ comes in and they begin to love others. One of the great antidotes for dealing with an angry person is to love them. And you can't do that in the flesh. The Holy Spirit of Jesus in you can do that. Love, joy, peace, the ability to quiet your soul, the ability to chill. That's a supernatural thing that comes from God. Love, joy, peace, and then long-suffering. What a great way to deal with an angry person is to suffer long. It means that we, we sometimes translate that word patience. And uh, long-suffering is a better word, though, because that describes what you're doing with someone who's 
pushing your buttons, pushing your buttons, pushing your buttons, trying to make you angry, trying to provoke you. And the Holy Spirit produces in you long-suffering patience with others while they push your buttons. We need Jesus. Now, when you have him, you have within you all the resources you need to deal with anger in your life. doesn't mean you don't have things that you don't need to learn because we all are growing to walk in the grace of Christ, walk in this new life that he's given to us. And so Christian growth is not perfecting the flesh. It's not a flesh improvement program. If I'm an angry person, I'm, I'm, my flesh has always got anger sitting right there. Just does. But if I learn to walk in the Spirit and I learn to have a relationship with Jesus that goes beyond just saying a couple prayers a week or checking off some do's and don'ts during the week, but if I learn to know Christ, then when something happens, I can immediately turn to my Savior and I can say, help me, Jesus, and I pray that a lot. And I can turn to Jesus and I can say, Lord, would you meet this in me? Would you meet this in me? And um, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and by the way, we're going to study 1 Peter this summer in the months of June and July, part of our 242 studies. We're going to be studying 1 Peter. But in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things that pertain to life and godliness has He given us? All things, all things. His divine power has given to us all things. Now, how did he do it? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In other words, through my knowledge of Christ, my experience of Christ, my coming to know him as my Lord and as my Savior, he has given to me all things pertaining to life and godliness. You have the very presence of Jesus Christ who the Bible says, would not break a bruised reed. He was gentle. He was self-controlled. He felt anger, but the only anger he ever expressed was absolutely righteous anger. It was not uncontrolled. It was always an act of justice. And uh, that's a whole nother study, the wrath of God. We've been talking about that on Thursday mornings in our men's Bible study. But when you know Christ... He comes to live inside you. And his word comes alive like these ancient wisdom for angry people in Proverbs. And I read these things, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I read those things and I think, Jesus, make that real in me. The bottom line is this. When you know Jesus, he can remove your buttons of hurt and frustration and fear. Whatever sets you off, and replace them with an infinite supply of his love and peace and power. That's a more wordy bottom line than I normally give you. But if you're struggling with anger, you need that bottom line. You need that. When you know Jesus, he can remove your buttons and replace them with an infinite supply of his love and peace and power. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? Do you need him? I think one of the most important steps you can ever make in your life is to come to a place where I realize 
that without God, I'm lost. Without Jesus and what he did for me on the cross, I'm carrying the load of my own sins by myself. I'm always trying to be better, and I don't get better. Always trying to change and not changing. Not really. Uh, always trying, striving to be a good man or to be a, a right person, a good woman, whatever the case may be, never getting there. And God has told us that. He said in the Old Testament, he said, here's what's right, here what's wrong, and people kept trying and trying and trying. And it was true, this is right. It's true, this is wrong. But we need more than just the information. We need transformation. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is that he dies on the cross for your sins. So every time you've messed up, every time you've wounded somebody else, every time you've sinned against God, Jesus died for your sins and he washed them away, took your punishment, took your place by spilling his own blood. That's what we preach. That's what we believe. When you and I forgive one another, it's not on the basis of me just being a nice person and say, well, I think you're good enough now, I can forgive you. No. When we forgive one another, it's because Christ forgave me. And because Christ forgave me, then I must forgive others. The little things that they do to me compared to what I did to Jesus. And so when we come to Christ, he forgives us for our sin. But more than that, when we come to Christ, he comes in us. When we trust him, he comes to live inside of us. And the Holy Spirit, he comes and he takes control. So if you need to trust Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I'm going to pray with you. You know, Gerald prayed that the Holy Spirit would fill this place. And I, I agreed with Gerald when he prays that. You know, when the Holy Spirit fills a place, he, there's no room for anything else. And he drives away all the evil, all the wickedness that's in a place. The, the demonic spirits that can interfere with us hearing and receiving the truth. And so we want to give this time to the Lord. We want his Holy Spirit to take control. And if you need to trust Jesus today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You need to make it your own. It's not a magic formula. But I'll help guide you through how to pray. And if you trust Christ today, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you that, that when we're done and we stand and sing in our invitation time, I want to invite you to come and publicly announce, publicly share that you've trusted Christ. We're not going to make you give a speech, but we'll pray with you, we'll answer your questions, we'll, we'll uh, make sure that you understand, and then we'll share with this congregation that we'll love you and pray with you that you've trusted Jesus, and they will rejoice with you. They will not be ashamed of you. So don't worry about what anybody else will say or think. If you need Christ today, don't leave here without trusting him. If you're a person that struggles with anger, you struggle with um, uh, people who make you angry um, or you're dealing with someone who's an angry person, I want to invite you be, to be praying during this invitation time. Ask for the Lord to make you a wise person. Ask for him to give you discretion, the ability to see what's really happening. Ask for the Holy Spirit to fill your heart, brother and sister, 
so that you would become dominated by the the life and the character of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. If you need Christ today, a prayer for salvation would be something like this. Father, I recognize today that I've been living my life without you. And because of that, I've truly lost. And I have sinned against you. I have sinned against other people. And I realize now that the only way that there's forgiveness for me is if I turn to Jesus Christ who died for my sins. And I ask him to save me. And so, Lord, save me. Forgive me. Wash away my sins. And Holy Spirit, come live inside me. I welcome you into my life. And I ask you not only to forgive me for my sins, but to change me from the inside out. I want to set my heart today, Lord, to follow you the rest of my life. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a Christ follower. Thank you for hearing my cry for forgiveness. I set my heart to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And look up here. If you prayed that prayer as your brother and as a pastor, I would say welcome to the family of God. And your family here, they want to welcome you too. And so if that's been your prayer today, your heart cry, I invite you to come. Share with us what God has done in your heart. If you just need someone to pray with you, pray for you, you have someone or something that's burdening your heart, use this altar to pray. This is a time where we respond to what God is saying and doing in our life.